which one of us, when we have a, a song that comes on that we really, really like, doesn't just jump in and sing with it? We can give people that kind of confidence to, to open up and worship God with their voice, then we're absolutely doing them a service by doing that. Welcome to another episode of the Aptcast, where iron sharpens iron and we poke each other with the pointy ends. I'm Wes, your host, joined actually newly by not Alex, but uh, Casey has returned, fell in love with his own voice last week, and has decided to, to be a regular appearance. What's up, Casey? Hey, how's it going, Wes? Glad to be back, man. Yeah, man. Good to have you. So, uh, it seems that Alex is going to be preoccupied for uh, the next couple of weeks with some stuff he's got going on. And uh, big thank you to you for stepping in to fill his enormous shoes. I couldn't do the show without him. And uh, we'll definitely see what kind of chemistry we have, me and you, going forward. Yeah, he definitely has some pretty big feet. I've noticed that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, this is, this is a pretty good move you made here, getting rid of Alex, because he's just been holding this podcast back. Tell you what, man, if you really want to go places, that you, I think you made the right move here. It's good to know. Um, I'm sure he'll be pleased to hear that. Too. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, love Alex. Alex. Love Alex. Nothing but love for him, man. Nothing but love. Yep. I, I tell you what, you know, I was thinking last week when you uh, introduced me, um, you, you introduced me as a, as a guy who was smarter than both of y'all combined. And I thought, well, first off, that's, that's not true. And then second, that's not really that impressive either. It's a low bar, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not difficult to do. It's not really impressive. Uh, no, you guys are, are great, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here to uh, just contribute what I can to, to the conversation. And and uh want to say, hey, what's up to all the happy people on Alex's uh, handpoint and, and all the sad people from mine. So we're taking care of everybody here. That's right. Hello to all the people. Regardless of current mood. That's right. Well, uh, first things first, we've got a few new likes. Stephen Caldill uh, and Josh Armstrong, thank you guys for the love. Uh, you can like us on the Facebooks, facebook.com slash APT podcast. Uh, definitely follow the show there. Uh, we try to put out an episode every week and occasionally when technology affords, uh, throw out a video clip here and there. So uh, like and follow the show there. Also, iTunes is a great way to, to help spread the word. So give us a five-star uh, rating and a review. Leave us a review. We'll read it out on the show, or at least I will. Casey's just over there chilling uh, in his world's greatest father t-shirt. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, also, a uh, special shout out to uh, some other friends of the show, uh, the Layman's Cup up in Lincolnton, North Carolina, spreading the good news one sip at a time. Uh, love those guys, and uh, really wanted to shout out uh, their new endeavor, laymanscupcoffee.com. Uh, they're a great group of guys, and they've got uh, several great offerings there. Got a brew for each of the guys on the show, uh, Sean, Kemp, Wes, and Bob. So definitely get you some coffee from laymanscupcoffee.com. And uh, Casey, you're a fan of them as well, aren't you? Yeah, you turned me on to those guys uh, probably about a year ago, I guess, and I've been listening to them, and uh, just fantastic guys, uh, great insights, a, a lot of uh, a lot of wisdom there, um, and, and entertaining, fun to listen to, uh, and, and guys, uh, I, I know you're listening, so I'm going to show you a shout out, what up to Kemp, and I got one thing to ask you, Kemp, what comes before 47? <laughs> <laughs> you heard that episode. You ain't yeah. gonna live that one down. I ain't nope. gonna let him get that way with that one. Oh, that's good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Those, those guys are great. Enjoy listening to them. Was listening to them on my run this morning, as a matter of fact. Oh, you're back to I running. Mean, yeah. Well, yeah. You know, I hadn't given that up yet. Uh, but man, yeah, it's uh it's it's fun to to listen to those guys. I, I listened to some some older 
podcast this morning. I'd already caught up with all their more recent stuff, uh, and just going back and listening to some of the older stuff, and it's 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 good. It's good. I, I recommend it. Have you gone back so far as uh, Patty Cakes? Have you heard him on the show? Uh, that yeah, the one the one that I listened to this morning had Patty Cakes on there. Now, I don't know if he was a, a regular at that point. Um, and this may may have been after he uh he already took off and, and came back or something. I don't know, but but yeah, he uh he was on there this morning. Nice. Yeah, they, I've been following them for gosh three four years. Hard to believe they've been putting out shows that long, but. They've been a really good group of guys, like you said. Whether you like coffee or not, the theology and the conversation is fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to devastate the world saying I ain't a coffee drinker <laughs> by any means. Uh, but I love the smell of it. It's good stuff. I just can't stand the taste of it. But anyway. Well, neither is Bob, and he's on the show. So, Well, there you go. <laughs> hey, shout out to Bob, non-coffee drinker. Eh? Yep, roll tide, Bob. He's actually from Alabama, believe it or not. Oh, okay. Yep, good stuff. But yeah. Layman's Cup uh, podcast is great. Layman's Cup coffee is equally fantastic. So check that out. Casey, uh, you were gracious enough to join us last week and talk about uh, some of the struggles and opportunities of being a teacher. Uh, but we really didn't get a good insight to who you are. And since you're going to be taking uh, Alex's spot for the next couple of weeks, it'd be good to uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, wh- who you are, where you're from, where you're headed, that kind of stuff. All right, well, uh, you know, just basic demographic stuff. My parents are from Illinois, but I was born in Georgia. Grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. Lived here all my life except for the first year. I went to, uh, well, you and I went to the same high school, uh, Shades Valley. And uh, I, I was in the old Shades Valley at Homewood before they moved yeah. it out to where you went, you know, because I'm, I'm just a couple of years older than you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, after I left high school, went to, uh, University of Southern Mississippi and studying music education and, uh, been a band director for 20 years, got a master's in 2009, uh, got a, a, a national board certification last year, as a matter of fact, man. Yeah. So that's education wise. That's, you know, where I, where I'm coming from. I don't have any formal theological education or anything like that, but my father was a, a youth minister for a while. Um, and it has a master's in divinity. So, you know, you, you can expect I've, I've had a little bit of training in, informally there just from the family. Um, yeah. my mom's a, a, a teacher or she, she was a teacher. She's retired about three or four years ago. So I come from a, a family of teachers and, uh, that's just kind of the, the family business, I guess you could say. But, uh, I've been band director for 20 years, uh, doing middle school the whole time. Um, I, I did, kind of go into a foray into high school band directing for a couple of years and figured out that's not my bag. So I, I took off and, <laughs> and found another gig where I was just doing middle school. Um, I don't know why I like middle school kids so much, but, uh, you know, they're just, I, I relate to them a little bit better. I guess that's, that's my mentality too. <laughs> I, I'm 12. You guys will figure that out. The more you listen to me, I, I am a 12 year old in a 42 year old body. Um, that's, you know, so I, I, I I guess I like middle school students because we think the same way. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, I've done I've done music all my life. I started playing trombone in sixth grade, thirty uh, something years ago, and uh, I'm I'm a classically trained trombonist, which is you know highly useful in today's climate. Yeah. <laughs> I get gigs around Christmas and Easter, and that's pretty much the only time I get to play trombone professionally. <laughs> um, but several years ago, I started a, a jazz band in middle school, and um, you know, I decided if I'm going to be able to teach jazz, man, I got to be able to teach drums and bass, guitar and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I started learning how to play drums, uh, which I can do okay. Um, then I picked up the bass and started learning how to do bass, and that one just kind of stuck, you know. So I've been playing bass for a while, um, played bass guitar in a, in a couple of different churches. Um, and now, you know, for our church, I'm, I picked up, uh, we had our, our bass guitarist leave, well, I think it was last August last July, last August, something like that. And, uh, you know, I stepped in, I, I, you know, I'd fill in every once in a while when he was out, but, uh, when, when he, when he left, it kind of fell to me to, to step up. And so, uh, that's what I do every Sunday. Well, actually, I guess now Thursdays, we record on Thursday nights now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's where we are with that. I get a lot of, uh, questions, people asking me how many instruments I play. And uh, my standard answer is, well, I can I can play anything. I can get Mary had a little lamb on just about anything that makes noise. Yeah, <laughs> I, may not, I may not be very good, but I can get it working. 
That's right. Yeah. It's part of the job, man. Want to hear you on the harmonica. Uh, I got one. Uh, I have to go find it real quick, but I do have one. Oh, boy. Maybe we can get a, a, a little video snippet for the page of you, you playing something. How many <laughs> instruments do you own? If you can play all of them, that's fine. How many instruments do you actually own? Okay. Um, I, well, I've got my trombone. I've got a trumpet. I've got a flute. I've got a clarinet. I've got a saxophone. Uh, I've got two bass guitars. I've got a drum set. Uh, and then, you know, little tiny things like harmonica. Um you know, just little little things like that here and there. I'm sure I probably have more than I than I realize. But yeah, I but the majority of those I used for for teaching, so they're all at like school right now and everything. So, but yeah, my main instrument is is trombone, and then of course at Christmas at our church I play tuba. You know, it's just, you don't have your own tuba though. I do not have my own tuba. I don't, you know, I don't have five grand to invest in an instrument that I don't play that often. Huh. <laughs> It's funny how that works. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those weird things. So I just borrow my schools whenever I need one. So the first instrument you ever played was the trombone. Yeah. What got you into that? Was it just a love of music? Was it uh, you wanted to be in the band and that was what was needed at the time? What What led you to the trombone? Man, it was it was weird. I had kind of a different middle school middle school experience than than most uh, most kids coming through band. I went through a real small school, Irondale Community School. And it was a K through eight. Uh, there were 30 people in my class coming up through there. So, you know, real small situation. And my sixth grade year, they decided they were going to start a band program. Uh, so they they hired a band band director who was part-time. And uh, he, he came in, and, and uh, it was, I think, the, the choice I had, because I was going into sixth grade, if I was going to choose an elective, it was between, like, computer and band. And, you know, back in my day, computer was the, the little, uh, the max that they had, the screen was like three inches square, you know? Yes. And, uh, yeah, uh-huh. You so, overgrown Game Boys. Exactly. So, I was like, yeah, you know what, I think I'll try band. And so, uh, you know, went through the whole instrument tryout process and, and got the trombone. You know, it was my third choice. I wanted to play drums and didn't get drums. I wanted to play trumpet and didn't get trumpet, so... He said, well, here, try this. I didn't even know what a trombone was. Uh, so I, I grabbed that, and it, it, it worked. And uh, so I played trombone for, for sit, my sixth grade year and my seventh grade year. And then my eighth grade year, the guy who was teaching us retired, and they didn't hire anybody else. So I didn't have band my eighth grade year. Well, you know, like every little boy in the South, I was a big football fan. So I wanted to go play football. Uh, so my uh, eighth grade year in the spring, I went to go to spring football with the high school, you know, went through a whole spring training with all that stuff. And then, then went through half the summer workouts and, uh, got to probably, uh, I think maybe three weeks before school started, you know, I felt God calling me saying, Hey, uh, you need to be in band. You don't need to be in football. Of course, you know, my mom was happy about that. So I made the decision to, to drop football, got into the, in the band. And luckily it was like two or three days before their band camp started. So I hadn't picked up a trombone in a year and a half and uh, started band camp at Shades Valley. And uh, the rest is history, man. I, I, I got in there and started doing that and uh, started taking lessons my junior year. And by my senior year, got, you know, Buku scholarships to Southern Miss. And, and there we go. Nice. So that's how I got into it. But it's weird because neither of my parents were involved in band. Uh, my mom sang in the choir. My sister sang in the choir. But none of my... None of my family played any instruments. They weren't involved in band at all. So I was the first. Uh, that was just kind of a, a, a unique thing, I guess. So you can't make music with your voice, so you got to use some kind of instrument to do it. Yeah, yeah, i got to have some kind of mechanical thing. I can't, I can't, I mean, I can sing a little bit. Of course, everybody can sing, but who wants to hear it? That's the question. That Yeah, that, that, that's really the question. And I have no bones about it. I, I play music because the best way I sound is with my fingers. Not with my vocals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you're a bang-up guitarist, man. I'm okay. I've always enjoyed hearing you play. I, I can make some noise. I can play the intro to the podcast, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> Is that you? No, it's not. I wish it was. Uh, okay. uh, but, yeah, as, as soon as I uh, I just put it together like on a, a garage band with a bunch of preloaded beats, but as soon as I made it, I was like, you know what? I need to be able to play this. And so for couple hours one day, I was just listening to it until I figured it out. It's like, all right, I'm good now. 
That way, if I'm ever out somewhere, by some miracle, I get recognized. Hey, you're from the AppCast, aren't you? Like, yeah. And I can just start playing it. That's, <laughs> that's, that's always a winner. Play a familiar tune. Yeah. I've been uh, thinking about getting uh, getting my bass out and, and learning the, the bass line to it. So maybe we can we can one day get together and, and play it live. Oh, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Just need to get Alex to figure out how to play an instrument. And, uh, yeah, good luck with trio. that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the best thing yeah. about talking about Alex now is he's not here to defend himself. He can't defend himself, so it's open season. We know he'll hear it, but but he can't come back with anything. That's right. <laughs> and you know he was a saxophone player, and in, in the band directing world, uh, if you got a kid that can't play anything else, you put him on saxophone. Oh, so, ooh, burn! <laughs> I need to buy him a bottle of aloe. Uh, a little bit, yeah. It's good stuff. So, you your story took you to Southern Miss, presumably because that's who gave you the most scholarship money. Yeah, and they, you know, uh, as far as during that time, Southern Miss was a fantastic music school. It still is great. Um, the, there's been some administration changes, and they've reprioritized some things that they kind of diminished their prowess a little bit. But but back in the uh, late '90s when I was there. Well, they were they were smoking as far as the music school is concerned. So yeah, that's what that's what drew me there. Were were they still bragging about the fact that that's where Brett Favre went to school? Oh, they always will. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, we we still talk about that that one time. Gosh, it was probably what a a, a decade or so ago that we shut out Alabama and Legion Field. Stop. Just yeah, yeah, uh huh, yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we we live on that kind of stuff, man. When, oh, yeah. when you're when you got a, a school the caliber of, of Southern Miss, if you pull off a big win like that, oh yeah, that 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 carries you for for decades. Oh yeah, absolutely. That, UAB is still talking about uh, beating Nick Saban when he was at LSU back in like two thousand one. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Awesome. Well, music definitely has served you well over the years. I, I can't think of anything that I've heard you play where I haven't just been like, man, that guy can play. I mean, it, and you listed the, the different instruments that you have, but, you know, I, I've seen you play a little bit on the trombone. I've heard you play Sunday after Sunday on the bass. Haven't had a chance to, to hear you play the, uh, the drums, though. I'm looking forward to that, seeing, seeing what you can do. But uh, the, the tuba's always been an enigma to me. Like, I could never make any kind of music with my lips. I uh, knew a bunch of uh, other musicians at Montevallo and uh, just – Tried to play the sax, tried to play the, the trumpet, couldn't get any kind of music to, to come through. And the tuba, man, that mouthpiece is ginormous. Like, it always oh, yeah, looks it's like it's a, bigger than my face. It, it, yeah, yeah. Hey, you ought to see it on, on a sixth grader. <laughs> <laughs> it takes up from their nose to their chin most of the time. Oh, my gosh. I've got that scene from uh, Little Giants in my head now when the kid first discovered the cup and just puts it over his <laughs> like that's not where that goes. <laughs> just see, just the mouthpiece is covering up. <laughs> yep. Oh man. Well, uh, what what type of music does one play uh, to to get into uh, like wind instrument type music? Because I know guitarists like me, it's rock music, right? Anything from yeah. pretty much the '60s on. Is mm-hmm. pretty good. I mean, e- even blues and and some of the uh, uh, jazz before uh, the '60s is, is great as well. But typically, you know, it's it's the rock that that people play and smoke on the water, smells like Teen Spirit, like the really yeah. simple stuff. Uh-huh. But every classical piece of music I've ever heard just sounds so deep and complex. Like, how is a, a trombonist? Do you learn how to play just one part of a trombone without hearing the whole orchestra go? Uh, you know, it's a progression. Usually when we start them in beginning band, everybody's playing the same thing. And it's real simple stuff. You know, I mean, like I said, with the Mary Had a Little Lamb. You know, I mean, that's one of the, the first because it's only like three or four notes. And so you start them off with like just a few notes, learning how to just make a sound and getting a good sound with it. And then you, you just gradually add notes to what they're able to play, and all the time, all the while you're teaching them how to read the music, uh, and so it's just a slow building process. And usually, by the time they've been studying for a year or two, they can really, really start playing some stuff, depending on how dedicated they are. You know, I mean, there there are some folks that it doesn't matter how long that they've been playing that you know 
they're not going to be that good because they don't put much into it. But if you get somebody who's really on it and really wants to do it and works, they can learn how to play a lot of stuff fairly quickly. And, you know, band music, uh, you know, you've heard marching band stuff before. Yeah. Um, it, it could be pop tunes. It could be classical. It could be, you know, all, all kinds of different things. But it's just learning how to read the music and being able to plug your part in with, with everybody else's. Um, and that's one of the things I had to really transition with a lot getting into, you know, the, the bass guitar scene and, and all that stuff is you rarely have any parts that are actually written down for you. Yep. It's, you know, you got that chord and then you just kind of play, you know, and you listen to what everybody else is doing and you get a, a feel for it. And it's a lot of improvisation. Whereas in the band world, everything that you play is written explicitly by the composer. Yeah. And you're supposed to interpret those symbols exactly the way they're supposed to be done. And, you know, and that's that's one of the biggest things I had to get used to is it's it's a little bit different. There, there, I think in learning guitar and stuff like that, I think there's really a lot more room for creativity than there is in learning a wind instrument or like piano or something like that. Yeah. Um, just because of the way it's taught. Uh, now, I'm not saying by any means that it's not possible to have that level of creativity on a clarinet or flute or whatever, but uh, just the, the way it's traditionally taught, um, you know, you got to learn it this way. Uh, just the techniques that have been around for literally hundreds of years uh, with these instruments, uh, you know, they're just, they're just kind of set in stone. Um, now, when you get to, you know, folks like Louis Armstrong, you know, he, he learned to play the cornet, and he learned it in a jazz style. And so he had that level of creativity from the very beginning. And so while he could read music, he still was comfortable adding his own stuff to it and, and really getting his ear open and, and playing what he heard just as much as playing what he saw. And so, you know, that's testament to the fact that you can learn a trumpet outside of, you know, a formal type situation. Uh, but most most kids are not going to do that. They've got to have some kind of formal structure that they go through and and kind of leads them through it. So it's it's a big transition there between the two. But you're but you're right. You know, I mean, being in a rock band is a whole lot different than being in an orchestra. Yeah. Uh, orchestra is very highly organized, very planned out by the composer. It usually takes a composer months to years to write a piece of music. Um, whereas like a rock band can sit down in an afternoon and get it done, you know, cause everybody's contributing and you know, you've got a basic outline as far as the chords and the melody and then everybody just kind of jams and you figure out what sounds good. Whereas with an orchestra, there's so much diversity among the instruments. Uh, and, and all of the ideas come from the composer. So it takes a composer a long time to write those things. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a totally different world of music and it's been fun for me to, to kind of get involved in the other side. To see how all that works. Yeah, and it's it's really neat to hear you say that because when when I first went to college, uh, I went to Montevallo as a music major. I'd been playing the guitar for a couple of years. I decided, you know what, I, I enjoy music. I want to go learn how to be really good. And I actually taught myself how to play the guitar. A friend of mine was taking lessons, so I'd go jam with him. Then I'd look up some tab music on the internet, which isn't you know real sheet music. So uh, I didn't know how to read sheet music, but I, I developed a where I could listen to a song and kind of play along with it. Even if it wasn't quite right, I could play something in the same key, kind of jam along with it. And so kind of developing that creativity from the beginning. Then I go to Montevallo and it's like you say, you got to learn how to play it this way. Got to do this, got to do that. And I, was like, I can't, I, that's, that's not my playing style. That it's just like oil and water. We don't mix. Yeah. And, and I wound up actually changing my major, but I still kept playing. And, uh, you know, that creativity that you talk about, uh, I'll, I never like to refer to myself as a rhythm guitarist or lead guitarist. I'm a salt and pepper guitarist. I just play what, whatever's needed, just season up everything else a little bit. Uh -huh. And that's kind of the approach to bass. You know, you, you hear what everybody else is playing and you just kind of improvise around that. Yeah. And it's really, really, but I mean, that's, that's the life of a, a string musician, I guess, because... I can play acoustic, electric, bass. Uh, I've played bass uh, a couple of times with different churches. And uh, I kind of play bass similar to the way I play guitar. I just hear what's going on and go with the flow. Figure out the key, figure out the chord, and just go with it.
Yeah, that, I, I've really enjoyed getting that that side of it and just uh, listen to everybody else locking in with that bass drum and and, and listen to what everybody else is doing and, and and really getting after it, just contributing, you know. Yeah, just being a part of the group and and knowing that everybody's just in the same harmony, even though you kind of have your own little individual things happening. Yeah. When I was playing uh, for the church, that's that's one of the things that uh, helped me grow a deep respect for uh, B. Haskins and I mean other composers that, that I'd known along the way. And he really is a composer. You've got the different vocal parts that are going on. You've got the, mm-hmm. the brass section who's playing, you know, everything just so. And then you've got the, the more traditional uh, band instruments that are, you know, guitar and the, and, and the drums that are kind of doing their own thing. And somehow he brings it all together and it just works. Yeah. And it's fantastic to, to watch it all come together. Bach, you know, never you you look at Bach music or Beethoven or Mozart, you never see trumpet solo. <laughs> it's just every note is right where it, it needs to be. Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. It's planned out completely, just exactly the way the composer wants it. And you know, rehearsal with B, man, he he does a great job. He allows us to do what we feel we need to do as musicians, and and kind of corrals everybody in and, and making sure. And it's a, it's funny you mentioned that because the the horn parts are written out exactly. So when he cha- when he decides, hey, we're, instead of going to, to this verse, we're going to go back to the chorus. Well, now you've just completely thrown off the horns. Yep. You know, because now they've got to figure out, okay, we're okay, we're, we're going from, from this measure and we're going to go back to this measure. You know, because I played trombone with them for a long time before I started playing bass. And that was one yep. of the things that we just absolutely hated. Because he'll do it even now. He'll automatically go from you know, from this bridge and then, Oh no, we're going to repeat the bridge now. Yeah. You know, or, or, you know, the vocalist, if we've got a soloist, they may, you know, get their words mixed up or get the section mixed up or whatever. And we just got to go with them wherever they are. And yep. as a bass player, it's a whole lot easier to do that than it is, you know, playing first trombone over there where my part is written precisely from beginning to end. Like, Oh, uh, she, she went back to measure 34. Okay. Let's all, you know, and, you yeah. know, it's just crazy in that in that situation. But yeah, he does a fantastic job of of getting everybody together, but at the same time relying on all of us to to be professional enough to to follow and and get the job done. Yeah, my my favorite was always coming in after learning a song in F, and he's like, "Nope, we're gonna play it in E." <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> my first thought every time was, I, "I've seen the music for the horns." How do you like for me? It, it's fairly easy because I can transition from from chords pretty well. But I'm sitting there going, how from from a horn standpoint do you do that? How do you make that change? Like it's just <laughs> you, just night you, and day. You don't. <laughs> That's the problem. You don't. You tell RT to go print you off new copies. That's, That's right. You do. Yeah. Or the other way, we're not going to play it in G. We're actually going to go up to A. <sighs> You're uh, killing me. <laughs> Oh man, I'll tell you what. No, there was one we were playing and uh I I don't remember what key it was in. Let's just say it was G. And so it's it's in G on the page. But then he turns around and says, "Hey, y'all capo that. We're going to go up to A." And I was like, "Hey, homie don't capo." <laughs> I'm a bass player. Homie don't capo. <laughs> so so That's I, right. had to, I had to switch it around inside inside that uh planning center program they use. And I, and I got it pulled up right. I was like, okay, here we go. That's fantastic. Uh, we were playing, and I don't remember the name of the tune, but uh, the, the chords were exactly the same as Stand By Me. Oh, yes. And so when I, when I was playing around with it, you know, practicing that week, I was like, oh, hey, look at this. And so we got to, the, it was back when we had multiple services. So we got to the second circus, surface. So, bleh, say circus? Second yep. service. <laughs> it's like, hey, it's like a circus on stage sometimes, man. Oh, I know. <laughs> we got to the second service, and and so like uh, it, it was the, the the maybe the second or third time through the chorus, and we we decided to make it real soft, so we got real soft, and I just started playing "Stand by Me" underneath it, <laughs> just that one time, and we finish, you know, we finish the rest of the service. We get back there into the green room. He looks at me and says, "So we're at a wedding, huh?" <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and you know everybody else who could even remotely hear the bass in their earphones picked that up. <laughs> yeah. And we're just going to the groove. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I'm going to try to sneak some journey in on him next week. Don't stop believing. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised nobody's tried to use that as a worship song, which oh. actually that's... <laughs> yeah, nice segue. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm a little rough with my segues, but I like that one pretty well. What do you think the um, the issue is with, with church music? Because it seems like there's a lot of people who, like us... Um, I mean, most of my development as a musician was in various uh, church bands. Um, but this this move towards the more contemporary worship style, either at the expense of old hymns and, and psalms, or maybe even modernizing the, the older hymns and songs, like Chris Tomlin's Amazing Grace and, and, and that yeah. kind of thing. What, what, what do you think is, is the, the cause of that? And do you think it's a good thing? Uh, you know... Studying music in, in my undergrad and master's degree, we're, we're mainly studying Western music. And Western music is focused on the church. Yep. And so I've, I've studied, you know, different church forms from Gregorian chant all the way up to whatever's going on now, Bach and, and, and beyond. And so you kind of see the evolution there of music in the church. For a long time, the the church music and, and its development is what drove all other music. Yep. You know, if, if a composer did something new in a mass, then you started seeing that same kind of idea popping up in folk music as well. You know, so the composers were the ones who were really influencing how music developed during that time. Uh, and and now we kind of see uh, it, it go in the opposite direction. We see a little bit more of the the secular styles entering into the church. And I'm not going to say that's necessarily a bad thing because if you if you look at the the history of music, it always is developing. The music in the church is it was constantly developing, uh, and and so we don't. I mean, if unless you're like Greek Orthodox, we don't do. Gregorian chants in, in church anymore, you know, right. that's, that's not what we hear. Um, you know, there, even Martin Luther, when, you know, during the revolution, revolution, <laughs> reformation, Close. Uh, it was a revolution. <laughs> yeah. But during the reformation, you know, he, he started writing a bunch of hymns and hymn style was something that was new. It yep. was not something that the Catholic church had been doing. So that strophic style of hymns, uh, was, was, was a new thing. Um, so it was his popular music, you could say. Uh, it was a new idea. And so now when I see more praise choruses and things like that coming into the church, um, I'm not surprised. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing by any means that uh, that new styles are entering because it's it's the style that's reflected in most people are hearing on a daily basis anyway. It's something that they're comfortable singing with. Uh, especially you look at the, the change in language that we've had. There's a lot of people now that if they read the text to a hymn that was written two or three hundred years ago, they can't understand what the hymn is saying because the, the language is not the same. The syntax is not the same. The words that they use don't necessarily have the same connotation uh, that they did when they were originally written. So, you know, just, just from studying history, I think music has always been evolving, uh, and that always has included the church. You know whether it's gotten better or it's gotten worse as far as quality is concerned. There's there's argument there, but uh, you know I I think it's just a natural evolution of people in the church. They're going to want to sing in ways that appeal to their ears, um, and if 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 praise music is what appeals to your ears, then then praise God through that. And if hymns are what appeals to your ears, then then praise God through that. Interesting way to phrase it that people are going to gravitate to what pleases their ears. I think that's one of the bigger, shall we say, critiques mm -hmm. of, of the modern worship style is that it seems to be, wh whether it's accurate or not, uh, more man-centered. And I've gone back and forth on my position. You, you know this because I've played on, uh, on the church band, but I'm, I've also uh, withdrawn uh, from playing. But thinking back to like somebody like Bach, Right, who played music or composed music almost exclusively for churches? Yes, he got basically run out of job after job because his music was too complex and was seen as sinful. Yeah, because it was too showy. And now we have kind of the opposite move. We have more, I won't say more simplistic, but le definitely less complexity. 
than, than you'd see in, in some other types of music, more repetition of the vocals, things like that. Mm-hmm. And that's also seen as sinful because it's somehow man, man-centered. And it seems like that's, that's an interesting that it's moved two different directions and still has the same kind of critiques. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, uh, that's, that's weird. Um, you know, what kind of music does God like? Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that, you know, that's the question. Um, so, you know, when you're talking about complexity, I think the move there was when, when hymns first came out and, and, uh, you know, they were written out and they had shape tone music. And, and, and so people had hymnals and they could open up the, the hymnal and they could read their parts. And they're usually written in, in three or four parts, two female voices, two male voices, high and low. And so you could kind of pick which part fit your voice the best, and you could follow along mm-hmm. those notes and, and kind of find those harmonies in there. And they actually had singing schools. A music teacher would travel around on circuit and teach congregations how to read those notes and how to sing a proper vocal production and everything so that the singing that happened in the church sounded better. Yep. Uh, and that eventually led to choirs in schools, and now that's you know that's kind of where we are. we got orchestras and bands and choirs in schools, and that's kind of the evolution of that. So, you know, when you're talking about complexity, I think we've we've kind of made it more simple now with the music that we have because of its repetition. We don't need the hymnals. People can pick up on the melodies a lot quicker because they are repetitious, and people can pick up on the words quicker because of the repetition again. And I think the whole idea behind it is to make it easier for people to catch on just a few theological ideas and worship on just those few theological ideas for the length of whatever that song is. If you read a hymnal, you know, just pick out a hymn, and, and, and it's going to have a central idea, but there's going to be so much brought into it through the poetry of the language. Oh, yeah. You know, that the, the thought is here, and then it's gone, and they're on to something else. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people have, now they, they have a hard time focusing on that many different things at, at one time. So it may have more to do with what society is able to handle in their in their current state rather than, you know, complexity, I guess. I'd say that's fair. Where do you think songs belong, or maybe that's the right word to say, in contemporary worship? Because those, those were actually songbooks for the Hebrews. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think psalms should be used, um, and they are. I mean, you, you, you have several songs that that have come out in the past 25, 30 years that, that are either um, paraphrases of psalms or, or exact quotations of psalms. Yeah. Of course, we, we don't have the, the music that they were written to to be able to do that. Of course, it's not in the same language, so it wouldn't fit even if we did have the music that we listened to. But, yeah, you know, I, th- I think they should be used. I think they should be uh, incorporated into worship. I don't, I don't see any reason that they should not. We just got to get some people who are talented in that area and, and are able to do that pick a translation and go with it, right? Yeah, that seems to be the way it's going. That, I think it's uh, it's also interesting you mentioned that uh, we don't have the music that went with the songs. And, and I think that's really important to, to know because we, we refer to the Bible as an inspired text, but that doesn't mean that the music itself is inspired. Yeah. So you can have a variety of music. You can have complexity of Bach, or you can have the simplicity of Hillsong just to you know draw two. I think it's fair to say, polls on uh, the music spectrum. Yeah, no argument here. Ultimately, the focus is uh, on the the condition of the heart when you're playing the music, right? Whether you're strumming a few chords to Hillsong or Chris Tomlin, or whether you're getting that part exactly so of you know a, a Lutheran uh, hymn like "Mighty Fortresses Our God." Yeah. Right, what, where, wherever you are on that spectrum, if your heart is in the right place, then you are worshiping. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're we're required to worship in spirit and truth. We're required to sing, and that's pretty much the only requirements that we have, uh, in in the New Testament anyway. Um, so you know, as far as the the actual musical style goes, that there's really no no recommendation, I guess you could say, coming from any New Testament writers, uh, saying this is how worship should be done and how music should be done. So we have a lot of freedom in that. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of attention is paid to uh, Paul's writings when he refers to the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Yeah. And, and some would say, well, that's talking about, you know, the three different books of 
of the Psalter, but you have other folks, and clearly throughout church history this is true, that looked at it uh, to say spiritual songs. I mean, you've got hymns, which are a form of spiritual songs, and you've got psalms, which themselves are a form of spiritual songs. So there's a, a distinct category of spiritual songs. Why is that there? Well, because music is going to be different culturally. And and you go to a, a church service at a church plant in sub-Saharan Africa, it's going to sound like the culture around it. Exactly. You go to a church service in Brazil, it's going to sound different from that church in Africa and different than what we hear in the southeastern U.S. Yeah, it's got to, you know, worship is going to be an expression of who you are to God. Uh, and so, you know, it would be disingenuous of us to ask a sub-Saharan African to, you know, praise him in the same way that, you know, with the same music that we praise him, yeah. you know. And, and I think there's beauty in that variety. Uh, you know, you can, you can walk in one church and there's a, a big pipe organ playing a, a, a Bach cantata and then you walk down the street to the next church, and, and, and it's some people up there with, with guitars and banjos just singing, you know, some, some bring me that old-time religion, and, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful way that we can, that we can worship God uh, as long as we are continuing to worship Him in spirit and truth. And, and you know, and, and like you said, it's the condition of our heart. Uh, are we, are we, where are we getting, the danger is, are we worshiping the music rather than the God of the music? Yeah. And that's, you know, that's where we got to be careful. Yeah, that's, that's a crucial distinction. It's really easy to get caught up in the medium uh, of how the worship is, whether, you know, different divisions in church history over modes of baptism, right. you know, different divisions in church history over how the Lord's Supper is given, and plenty of division over how the music should sound. I mean, my, my wife, as you know, was raised primitive Baptist where there's no instruments. Yeah. And there are others, uh, like, and, and Pentecostal groups that, no instruments at all. It's all vocals, which, quite honestly, even as an instrumentalist, I think it sounds phenomenal. Yeah. You get a congregation that's just singing and everybody singing. That's beautiful to me. And even at times at, at cross point where the, the instruments will stop and you've just got the congregation singing. That to me is more beautiful. Sorry than anything on the bass guitar oh, or, no, no, or no. the lead. And it's it's phenomenal to to hear the people of God singing to God, whether it's with an instrument uh, backtrack or not. And I think that's that's really the key. What is going to motivate us to be involved in that worship? What is going to help get us involved in worshiping in the, in song? Yeah, absolutely. I think you're 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 right about that. It's it's the human voice that really is the truest instrument of worship. But, uh, you know, we, we're, we're dealing with people and, and sometimes people are not confident with their voice. And when you're singing with a congregation that doesn't have any accompaniment, sometimes they can be really, really self-conscious. And, and because of that, they shy away and don't want to sing. And so when you have, you know, instruments up on stage that are kind of given some foundation and some support to that singing, a lot of people are a little more comfortable in doing that, even if it's nothing more than, oh, the, it's, it's up loud enough that the people around me can't hear me, so I'm going to sing. You know, uh, Just giving people that confidence to be able to do that uh, encourages them to, to be able to do that. And, you know, hey, which one of us, when we have a, a song that comes on that we really, really like, doesn't just jump in and sing with it? You know, I, I know my, my band, our, our, our stadium DJs will always play... Um, Oh, was that journey tune we were just talking about? Don't stop uh, believing. <laughs> yeah, don't stop believing. And as soon as the bass hits that E, the very first note, boom! It was like, Wah! and they go crazy, and everybody starts <laughs> yep. screaming out the words, whether they know them or not, right? Mm-hmm. So if you know, if we can through instruments, if we can and, and songs, if we can give people that kind of confidence to to open up and worship God with their voice, then we're absolutely doing them a service by doing that. On, on that, how has your theological development shaped how you approach music? So I think those are really intricately linked uh, d- depending on, on the person. But in your case, how is that, uh, how's that relationship uh, developed over time? Uh, you know, music is a, is a gift from God. Uh, and it's a gift from God used to worship Him. And... Um, so, so my viewpoint of, of any and all music that I play is my talent that he has given me is to worship him, is to glorify him. 
Uh, and so when I'm, I'm playing, my, my, my first prayer before I step up on that stage to play is, first off, God, let me honor you in all that I do, and don't let me screw anything up so that I mess somebody else up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't want to be asking, don't let me be a hindrance to somebody else's worship. Let the things that I play encourage others to worship. Um, you know, and I, and I I try not to be showboaty on. Not that I could be showboaty on the on the bass, but I try not to do things that would attract attention to me and make people say, "Wow, did you hear that bass line?" Rather than you know focusing on God, so I try to play in a way that supports the rest of the band that makes it sound good, so that people can uh, focus on what's really important, rather than you know listen to to each individual instrumentalist and, and, and critiquing all that. But at the same time, you know, the Psalms tells us to play skillfully. And so I practice uh, with the idea that, that I need to make sure that I'm doing this well, that I'm doing this right to honor God the best that I can, you know, giving him my best and not just showing up for the recording or for the performance and, and sight reading everything. Yeah. Um, you know, that I, I make sure that I'm practiced, that I know what I'm doing uh, and that it's going to be, uh, pleasing to him through that practice and in, and supporting the other musicians and, and encouraging other people to worship. So, you know, uh, practicing is, is kind of my spiritual act of, of worship throughout the day. You know, when I'm working on fingering exercises, I'm, yeah. I'm working on fingering exercises so that I can praise God better on my bass um, or if I'm playing trombone or, or whatever else might be going on. Um, so, you know, it, it really it, it kind of opens up more that idea of let everything that you do be to the glory of God. Um, you know, so it, it, it kind of brings the presence of God to my mind during the mundane parts of, of the day and really being able to, to feel his presence and, and focus on him, you know, at a time, if I didn't think of music that way, uh, then I would just kind of run through the scales and go through the motions and, and it not be a big deal. But, Instead, letting those times be times of worship and, and knowing that I'm working on these skills so that I can be better at praising him, so I can make myself better at glorifying him. That's good. That's good stuff, man. That's a sermon in itself. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really, really good, uh, I think, to point out uh, the, the the skillfulness of it because, one, it is easy to get complacent, but also, too, throughout history, like you said, um, the church used to be where uh, music w- uh, drove, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, the new stuff would come through the church music and then spread to the culture. And now we've kind of got that inverted. How neat would it be if the the music of the church was driving the music of the culture now rather than vice versa? Yeah, absolutely. And the, the importance on that, uh, I think, can't be understated because there's a sense in which Christians in general should be assault light and part of that is actually going out into the world with whatever gifts you've been given and if you go out there and you don't have a skill you don't have any gifts that you're putting on display what are people seeing uh in in the god that you claim to represent yeah absolutely you know i i've i've always thought that that christian artists should be better than all the others you know, if you're a Christian painter, you should be a better painter than others. If you're a Christian sculptor, you should be a better sculptor. If you're a Christian architect, you should be a better architect. If you're a Christian musician, you should be producing better music. You know, because we're we're doing it for for a, a, a true and noble purpose. And so I, I've always thought that that you you have to be better because you're a Christian, um, in giving your best and letting God bless that talent. And if you're not, you might want to reevaluate if that's what you should be doing. I have been in churches before where they would let pretty much anybody sing a solo on stage. Um, oh and, no! <laughs> and, and while we 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 really want people to make a joyful noise to the Lord, do it in the congregation if you can't sing. You know, I mean that's that sounds harsh, but let's be honest. You know, if you're going to get up there and lead, you need to exhibit that skill and talent. Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's a good word to everybody. I <laughs> wholeheartedly agree with that. There's there's nothing worse than uh, that untrained unhoned skill uh, that's that just hasn't been developed and you put a microphone in front of them and as badly as you want to go yes and amen you can't because your whole body is just contorting <laughs> with every high note <laughs> i tell you i know my wife she has a uh, vocal performance degree 
and she's a choir director. And uh, I tell you what, she's about broken my finger sometimes in churches where she's grabbed my hand when somebody's singing and squeeze real hard because she can't stand yep. it. Yeah, it's it's tough, man. And, and you know, I don't envy B's position because he's got to make those kind of decisions because he's got people all the time coming to him wanting to do solos and oh, yeah. and all that stuff. And he does a great job uh, of picking out people who whose voices fit well. And uh, it's just, it's a tough gig for him, man. Yeah, I'm similar to uh, your wife, uh, anytime I'm listening to uh, a live performance, I tend to zero in on the guitar. Yeah. So if there's any mistake made, I catch it and I go, I just messed up on that chord change. <laughs> Whoops. Or or the opposite, though. I mean, it, I'm, I'm sure you, you've done this, too. When you hear exceptional skill at an instrument or a performance that you have a talent in, you notice that more than maybe mm -hmm. uh, the average Joe sitting next to you. You go, wow, that was really good. Yeah. Because you know how difficult it is to be that good. Mm -hmm. And when you see it, you're just in awe, and that's kind of what you're talking about with go out there skillfully. You're bringing that attention through the medium of music. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I love listening to gospel music because they have some of the best slap bass players around. It's it's <laughs> tremendous. Oh, yeah. And if I ever actually went to a gospel service with the intent of worshiping, it would be difficult because I'd be just sitting there watching that bass player the whole time, you know. But that's oh, yeah. more about me. It, that's more about me than it is the bass player, though. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, my goal is always to be in support of the band and, uh, try not to draw attention to myself. Um, but you know, if a time calls for it where that's what's supposed to happen in the music, then I need to be prepared to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, it, it's, it's a delicate balance you got to strike, but it's, it's one that's well worth it. And I think l looking back on it, one of the, the honestly more pressing reasons that, uh, I stepped away besides putting more focus on teaching than, than playing music is I, I constantly see this impetus in me to um, go wild on the guitar and I keep having to rein that back in and it's a temptation that just gets so great. I, the last time I played, um, I stepped in and subbed when we had some musicians out and there was one particular song that we, I think it was the first song that we played it was just, it was perfect for solos. And every time I practiced it, I couldn't help but throw fills in, <laughs> like after every burst line almost. And we got up there on Sunday and I just went with it. I just played because that's what I was, I felt comfortable doing. And I got a lot of compliments afterward about my playing. And I remember thinking, this, I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> like it was, it was, it, it was tough for me in that moment. That's why I've, I enjoy playing more backup roles, more salt and pepper type, because you blend, like you say, you just kind of blend in. I don't want to stand out, really, anytime, because I've got bad stage anxiety. <laughs> but um, just in general, you know, if you make a mistake and you're blending in, it's easier to, to, to move on than when the spotlight's on you. Oh, yeah. You know? Uh, it, and if you play really well, then everybody else sounds better if you're not stepping out, uh, being that, and, and, and that's a balancing act. I don't think I ever really got, and, and I've never really been comfortable with it. Kudos to you. Hats off to you for being able to, to do it. Cause, cause you make it look so easy and you sound great up there. Every time I hear you, um, every now and again, I hear a little, and I'm, uh, <laughs> did you hear that? <laughs> no, what? <laughs> but it's good stuff, man. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, man. I do. And I, and I remember that Sunday cause we were playing together. That was a Sunday that we had uh, uh, like three guys from our Bible study class up there playing guitar. That's right, because Kevin was playing acoustic too, wasn't he? Uh huh. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was fun. Don't get me wrong; I thoroughly enjoyed the performance. It just, man, I something just felt wrong about the, the accolades in in that particular mm -hmm. venue. Yeah, yeah, and you you should talk to Nicole. She gets that a lot. You know, she does a lot of solos, and and she's a phenomenal singer. She really is. Um, yeah, so she, you know, she gets a lot of, uh, a lot of compliments, and she has a hard time dealing with that too, because that's her whole, her whole idea is, is I'm the, up there giving praise to God, and and other people just hear it because I got a microphone, and so she, you know, 
she has a hard time with people constantly saying, "Oh, I love watching you sing. I love hearing you sing up there." You know, and and she, you know, her typical response is, "Well, I'm glad God was glorified by that." You know, and and she has a lot of a lot of struggles with that. Yeah, because uh, that's kind of you know being as good as she I can is. understand because she's got a rare talent. She does. When she's not singing and she's sitting, you know, down the row from me, I hear her standing out from everybody around uh-huh. us, and it still sounds fantastic, even without the, the amplification. Yeah, yeah. You should play this episode for her so she hears it, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there was one Sunday that uh, somebody was singing a solo. I don't remember what it was, but the whole choir was up there. It was one of the ones where we had the whole choir. Mm-hmm. And uh, B asked her to do some ad-libs, but they didn't have a, a, a spare microphone. Because the solos was taking one, and then the praise team had one, and you know, and so she just sang out, and with all the amplification going on in the room, people were hearing her acoustically in the back of the room. Yeah, uh, she she's got a rare instrument, and it's it's phenomenal. But yeah, she she struggles with the compliments that she gets, and um, you know, she she truly wants to humbly serve the Lord and give Him glory. And it's hard when you're that good. <laughs> yeah. You, you hear it said sarcastically, it's hard to be humble when you're so perfect. And uh, <laughs> I think in in her case, she wouldn't say perfect, but her talent level is way up there. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely hard to stay humble under those circumstances. Yeah, I'm, I'm a blessed man. She uh, when We got married right when she was coming out of college. And uh, she actually turned down two different recording contracts. Because they told her that uh, if she accepted them, that uh, she would have to be, um, she'd have to be single, and and put off marrying, get, getting married. And she said, "Nope, I'm going to marry him." Yep. So, well, it's hard for you to stay humble then, because you you just got yourself an awesome wife there. Yeah, yeah, and she's regretted it every day since. <laughs> 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 oh man, God, where would y'all be? If she had pursued that singing career. Oh, man, I have no idea. Because uh, Sony wanted her, and I can't remember who else was it that wanted her. But she was uh, she a country singer. I can see that. Um, she had done, she had, yeah, she had a, a number of uh, country writers that, that had used her as their demo. You know, they'd write songs and then have her sing them so they could try to sell the songs. And instead, Sony started getting in touch with her, wanting her. That's how it happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the few... Uh, operatically trained singers that I know that would go sing country. Her and Reba McIntyre, I guess. I didn't know Reba McIntyre was uh, operatically trained. Oh yeah, wow. yeah, she's classic. Yeah, she's I mean, classically doesn't trained. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. She's good. There's there's some great vocalists in country music. I, I I can't stand the genre in general, but there's some real gems. Yeah, I'm with you on that. So I think uh, kind of winding down on this. We had some good conversation on music. It's been fun. And since this is your your second time on the show, as promised, we, we have a little gimmick. We're going to give you a top five list. Oh no! From here on out, all of our all of our guests and guest hosts <laughs> will will get a top five category. Since we've been talking about music and uh, specifically music in the church, give me your top five either praise and worship groups or just Christian groups outside of the church. Oh man! Okay, uh, top five Christian groups. Um, I think P.O.D. is going to be up there. Kicking it old school, yeah. Oh, yeah. Got a little P.O.D. Hey, go, going back uh, maybe before your time, Mortal. You remember Mortal? Yeah, they've got some really good stuff. P.O.D., Mortal. Uh, Let's go with Thousand Foot Crutch. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think Skillet is obligatory. Yeah. They've been around for forever, it seems. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they've been around for a long time. They're like the Aerosmith of, of Christian Heavy Rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh how many is that? I don't know, four? Yep. Um man, I don't know, I'm drawing a blank. Uh Demon Hunter's pretty good. They're putting out some good stuff right now. They're kinda hot and cold with me. Some of their stuff I hear and I go, That's really fantastic. Other stuff I hear and go, mm, not so much. They've definitely on the heavy side there. Yeah, they have, are. Have you seen any of your top five in concert? Because you went all, all five outside of the church. Uh, no, I haven't. I have not. If you no. ever get a chance, I, c- I can vouch for Thousand Foot Crutch and Skillet. Both of them are phenomenal live. I actually saw Thousand Foot Crutch open for Three Days Grace years ago. Wow. 
believe it or not. It was thousand foot crutch, twelve stones, and then three days grace <laughs> is the headliner. Oh wow. Unbelievable yeah. mix of bands, but it, it worked. And uh Skillet headlined some show here in Birmingham. One one of the like winter jams, but at the yeah. BJCC. And they they consistently put out good music. Yeah, they do. It's it's phenomenal to hear how how their careers progress because you know some of their earlier stuff was kind of like a techno almost. Uh huh. Yeah. And then they kind of went into the rock and then had that uh, almost operatic rock album, uh-huh. Monster. Yeah. <laughs> they started throwing strings in there. That's a solid list. So P.O.D. Mortal, Thousand Foot Crutch, Skillet, and uh, uh, what was the last Demon Hunter? Solid list. Solid list indeed. Well, hey, Casey, thanks for joining the show. Hope uh, everybody enjoyed that conversation as much as we did. I know I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Seemingly every time we talk about music, there's something new to discover. Oops. <laughs> like where your microphone is? <laughs> yep, yep. Good thing this is audio and not video. <laughs> thanks uh, thanks for being on. Thanks for uh, listening, everybody. Again, uh, facebook.com slash podcast. Uh, find us on iTunes. See you next time.